Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. I had to go about it, write it out, and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. It's the weekly edition. I'm Adam Collins. To my left, Jeff Lemon. We can take it easy here. There's no 30-second summaries. There's no 15-minute limit. We can just take our time and work through the issues of the week. And we'll do that from the vantage point of the Vauxhall end at the Oval a couple of days before the Test match, which will not decide the destination of the Ashes Urn. That's been dealt with already last week, but will determine whether Australia win here for the first time in 18 years, whether England can square the series at two apiece. And look, I just love being back at the Oval, really, Jeff. It's my favourite ground, looking out here over the pavilion towards Crystal Palace and the Spire mm. over there and so forth, and the covers all the way across the ground here. It's a ground where we've seen so much history over the years, a ground where Australia actually won here four years ago as well when they had lost the Ashes. So... It's not always lost that we're coming to the Oval. Oh, Australia and the Oval, it's a love story. It's a romance. You know what else happened at the Oval? Shane Robert Watson, 176. He did indeed. Highest test score. What a, what a day that was. I was here. I was not, not 80 metres from it while it was happening. What a beautiful time that was to be alive. Steve Smith's first test 100 that day as well, and that turned out okay. It's the one ground in the world where you're asked to get put in the overflow area. So to, to go a bit behind the curtain, we have a press box here at the Oval right behind the bowler's arm, but it's double glazed um, with and, like and a tinted, tinted window. It feels like being in a submarine. Yeah. And it's usually freezing. They crank up the aircon in there. So, you know, not to sound like I'm complaining, but it's, no. it, it has its own um, characteristics. But then there's an outside bit with the nice desks. And if it's not freezing and pouring with rain, you know, if it's a nice sunny day, hallelujah. As it should be this week. It's like this time last year is when Alistair Cook played his last test match here. And mm. it was, with the exception of the 
fifth day, the final day. It was really nice weather and quite sunny, quite balmy for September. So I think we're in for a similar week here. So there won't be the problem we've had through the series with rain. Not that it's really affected it apart from Lords. I think in many respects, Lords helped the series. The fact that it didn't quite get to a result made mm. Headingley that much better and so on and so forth. But yeah, it looks like we're going to get a full test match in. But we're not going to talk too much about that today. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll touch on a couple of the, the issues that have spilled out of it. What we're doing today what is if going- they, What if England had won at Lords and then had the heading? match and then Australia wins at Old Trafford and it's two all coming oh, to the last. That would have been oh. so good. It, would have it so wouldn't good. have happened because we've discussed this. If you change something in the past, everything after that changes too. That's right. We, if you want to reference a uh, reference point on that, our previous weekly episode, I think it was, dealt with the space-time continuum quite yep. neatly. Mm-hmm. Quite neatly. Jeff did a very good job of it, really. Well, you know, some it people... required explanation. He articulated it well. Some people seem to think this is a wacky theory. It's just a fact. That's how time works. I think the people that think it's a wacky theory aren't too bright to begin with let's okay. put it that way the other bits we're doing on the show today we've got eliza bartlett on which we're looking forward to eliza is a friend of ours who's walking from italy to scotland in uh, raising money for, for type 1 diabetes research she's an Don't amazing she realize woman. that airfares aren't that expensive these days <laughs> hey she's <laughs> she, she's doing a great job she's been going since i think before the world cup started she def- she's been here longer than you have jeff so i thought you were about to say before the world war i was yeah, like before, Jesus, yeah that's that a really a long little... time if it were before the world war some of the terrain she's gone through walking mm. by in that direction she probably would have um, come across quite a bit but no she's um on to talk a little bit more about that and much later on we're going to have a big old nerd pledge session with none other than andy zaltzman who look we've had daniel norcross and andrew sampson go through their paces with us and mm-hmm. Zaltzman's right with those two in terms of a, a, a synergy between remarkable recall and great understanding of the history of the game. He's a stats man. He really is. He's very good. Um, and, and he will be joining us later on in the program. Thanks, Andy. Uh, love you. So, But we've got a bunch of things to get through in we do. the first half of the show because uh, the world has not stopped turning. The cricket world has not stopped turning. And while there have been some amazing test matches played in England in the last few weeks, there was one that was maybe even better. A thriller right down to the very last hour in the gloom. And Afghanistan, Zindabad, have won their first Test match against Bangladesh. They've won their second test match overall. They've won two of their first three, haven't they? Yeah, so uh, this is a Samson stat. The thriller in uh, Chattagram. Uh, Chattagram, get yourself a Chattagram. Uh, means that they've reached two wins. It sounds in- like a terrible social message in that. <laughs> okay. yeah. Chattagram. Lisa needs braces. Um, the, uh, they've, they've reached three wins, uh, rather, two wins in three starts which is equal first with Australia. It took England four tests, Pakistan nine, West Indies 12, so on and so on, all the way through to Bangladesh, who took 60 tests to get their second victory. Bangladesh have also now lost against all... Well, they've lost to 10 test-playing nations. They're the first, um, they're the first country to, to lose to... Ten others. So Steve Waugh was the first to make 150 against all the test playing nations. Bangladesh, <laughs> Bangladesh the first I mean, to lose. To them. It, it, I mean, it, it, as good as it is a Wait, story... Wait, they for, lost to Ireland? No, but Ireland would be the 11th, won't it? Oh, okay. Because there's now 12 test-playing okay. nations. But yeah. you're right to ask that question. No, as good a story as this is for Afghanistan, and it really is, Bangladesh, who have beaten England and Australia at home in the last three years, mm-hmm. not great for them, considering how well they did at the World Cup, and it felt like they were on a bit of an upward curve. But Well, I mean, this is the thing, though. They're, they're, when you look at this result, they're not a bad side, as you say. They've, they've beaten a couple of very good test teams. They've, uh, Especially on home soil, they've excelled, really, um, over the, the last few years. They've been very competitive in one-day cricket. We, they smashed it in the World Cup. 
so, you know, this was a proper win for Afghanistan. This was – it shows you what they can do, particularly in conditions that they're more – used to playing in when, when there was turn. And I think Shakib Al-Hassan, the Bangladesh captain, was saying that he was surprised that there was so much turn, you know, surprised that the wicket was was doing what it did because it didn't necessarily suit his team, but it did suit Afghanistan. Yeah, well, when, when Australia played at Chittagong, the same ground, two years ago, they went in with three spinners and one mm. quick, and that's Pat Cummins. So it's not as though this pitch... Does, it's actually the ground where, of course, Jason Gillespie made his test double hundred as well. Two extra little factoid. But no, Ramit Shah made his maiden test ton... Ashka Afghan, so an older, more experienced player in the side. He made yeah. 92. Rashid Khan, the captain. Now, that's an interesting story. He's captained Afghanistan for the first time in a test match here. Uh, he's made 50 in the first dig off just 61 balls. I mean, we've seen this in the IPL and other T20 competitions. He can really put the foot down. We saw it uh, down in Bristol against Australia we in did. the World Cup when he played a what was it, 27 off 11 balls, I think, from memory, and yeah. a couple of crazy hook shots. He can get going. But, but I, I don't want to... then wanna, he bowled him out. Then he, then he bowled him out. But, but well, before we get to that, okay. I, I really want to make one point off the top here, which is that w- what we saw in, in the World Cup particularly is that Afghanistan really struggled to impose themselves with the bat. They bowled well, they fielded pretty well usually, but, the, you know, any time they were set a target, they couldn't really make a realistic chase of it. Mm. To come out in a test match, bat first and make 342, that's massive for them to, to be able to do that. Ramat Shah is the one guy during that World Cup campaign who really looked the goods as a batsman. He's yep. made four one-day hundreds. He's has that composure and has that temperament and has, has the shots without seeming rushed, without seeming hurried. And so it, it feels like a coronation almost for, for him to make his nation's first test century that seems like that's what should have happened he's he's the ideal person to do that and then asgar afghan has been the captain forever up until just before the world cup mm. there was a bunch of politics at work uh, a bunch of backstabbing and so on that went on i don't know the ins and outs of all the power struggles but there was you know there's some some fairly underhanded stuff at play and he was knocked off and they put gilbert in in as captain who didn't really want to be captain but felt that he had to do it because because of the the political machinations. He didn't want to do it because it meant skipping leg day. Yeah. <laughs> but it also meant he could bowl himself and bat himself wherever he wanted, which he <laughs> did. Um, so, you know, God bless him and his massive pipes. But he lasted that World Cup campaign and then was very relieved to be removed, I think. And so Rashid Khan um, has taken over and... Everybody seems a lot happier about that. But it's so good to see Askar Afghan come in, made 92 in the first innings, made a 50 in the second, crucial 50 in the second, mm. um, and really was, I mean, Rashid's the player of the match, but but for Askar to do that matters. It's really important. It's an incredibly strong bowling lineup. Bangladesh are turning out too. Those three spinners, Tajul Islam, who bowled Australia out at Dakar a couple of years ago. Shakib Al-Hassan, uh, we don't need to say much about him. Everyone knows his capacity. And Mahidi Hassan, who bowled out England um, at that ground, I think it was at Chittagong uh, mm-hmm. in 2016. So, you know, three serious spinners and they've tallied 342 in the first dig. Then Bangladesh get bowled out for 205, principally by Rashid, 6 for 55. Didn't have a great World Cup. But this is kind of their first real opportunity since the World yeah. Cup and leading the side and five in the first dig, five in the second dig. And uh, and Mo Nabi as well. You're not going to get Mo Nabi anymore. You're going to get less Nabi because he's retired from test cricket. <laughs> he's played these first three test matches yep. and then said, no, I'm good. Um, time to hang up the boots. Uh, it's kind of amazing in a way that he's giving it up. What do we hear during the World Cup? He's played against 35 different nations yeah. in limited overs cricket, something like I that, including like Uganda and like, America. Guinea. There's some really like ones that you don't normally associate 
associate with like top line international cricket. Thailand, I think he's, he's played yeah, against yeah. Thailand. He's been there since the very, very, very start. Of he this whole played operation. 111 one days in a row that were without missing a game. He played every Afghanistan game for 111 games in mm. a row up until I think about a year ago, and then he missed a couple, and then he played everything Soft. else. Um, yeah, so he's. I guess I'm a bit surprised as well, but I suppose they're not going to play a whole lot of test cricket. They play a little bit. They've got a few. Um, to, I had a quick squiz before, so they play the West Indies and Ireland at home. I mean, obviously it's not home home, but you know it's the in, Kabul the Kabul away day is not quite in the calendar yet. But it's in India. They've been playing their home yeah. games, and then um, they come up against Australia next year, which in about would, a year's time. Yeah, in theory, it's it's meant to be in November 2020. I mean, obviously Australia will probably pull the pin on that because you know they treat countries like this like shit and always have and always will. But in theory, Australia host Afghanistan in November. 2020 and they visit to play Afghanistan in March 2022 off the top of my head before I, th- I think it's the end of the year I think it's the warm-up for the India series so there's, there's, that's a big Asian year for Australia they go away to play Pakistan in March or so they go away to play Sri Lanka mid-year and then they go away to play India in October and I think they play Afghanistan as the warm-up right. fixture for that series so I'm pretty sure that's how it works so, from memory. So in terms of the game itself, so Bangladesh all out two oh five in the yeah. second dig Afghanistan. But Mo three far. Here he goes. Three far. In his in his swan song, <laughs> the final test. And <laughs> and it was lower order runs. It was Mossadegh Hussain clattering yep. it around who even got them up to that two oh five. Love you, Mossadegh. Um, you know, just just can't can't turn it off. And then Afghanistan came out and, and doubled down two hundred and sixty in the in the second dig to set three hundred and ninety eight as a target. That's not bad to set as a target for the fourth innings in your uh, one of your very first test matches. Yeah, as you mentioned before that uh, Ashka Afghan made a half century in the second dig. Ibrahim Zadran made eighty seven and top scored at the top of the list. So some different contributors there. Rashid Khan handy runs a second time and once again, I mean they were hard held. I mean the Bangladeshi spinners are are very good and and they weren't able to get the job done so Ray nearly got them which would have been a travesty they needed four wickets on day five and we were seeing photos come in on social media Jeff of it looking like it was torrential and there were puddles on the pitch and so forth but they did get on they did get enough time to to take the necessary wickets and they bowled out Bangladesh for 173 the second time around but only just they came out with 14 overs left it it was like the finish of it was ridiculous they were off until I think they were off uh, until about 2pm. They got back on for seven deliveries. Then they were off again for another rain delay. Then they got back on at something like half past four and it gets dark early uh, in that part of the world at, at that time of year. So they didn't have a lot of time. Yeah, it absolutely does. Just thinking back to two years ago, they, we were getting bad light at about 5pm, 5 5.30 yeah. every day. Right. So they they had 14 overs, I think, when they got back on and they needed four wickets. Um, they got Shakib out with the first ball after the rain delay and then Rashid Khan wrapped up the rest so it was Zahir Khan uh, not the old Zahir Khan the new Zahir Khan who, <laughs> who got Shakib out and then Rashid Khan rattled through the last three a couple of leg befores and how good are those images of all uh, the, the 11 Afghan players all in whites with the bright red cap on mm. surrounding the batsmen swarming them in the last few overs and they got there with a, a couple of overs to spare so what a what a moment what a way to clinch it yeah so 6 for 49 in the second dig after 5 for 55 the first time so a couple of Rashid Khan factoids he's the youngest captain of a test nation to record a win the first time up and he's also the first player to record a 50 and 10 wickets in a game so 11 in his case in his first game captaining a test side so a couple of crackers only there. Two, two other players have ever done that uh, really? who've been captain taken a, a, a 10 for and a 50 I think it's Viv Richards and Imran Khan oh right I reckon oh there you go 
that sounds right. Imran Khan feels like the kind of guy that would have achieved it would've. at some point along the line. Would have, should have. There's a confluence here of Imran Khan and leg spin because this was also the week that we yes. we bade farewell to Abdul Qadir, the great Pakistani leg spinner, the one who was so inextricably linked with Imran's time as captain of that team, the the one who was described as having the mentality of a fast bowler when he was a spinner, you know, before. People used to say that about Shane Warne, but I reckon they ripped off the line from Abdul Qadir because he was he was fierce. He was ferocious and he, he would take you down if you decided to. Yeah, certainly growing up, uh, you know, in in Melbourne and, and sort of loving Shane Warne and loving leg spin, the other name that, that was paired with that was the generation before, the fact mm. that Qadir finished his international career just before... Warren started his international journey. There's a nice link between the two there and um, that Kadir's uh, family link to Australia is a strong one. Of course, what we have now, the next generation coming through, but also the fact that Abdul Kadir played club cricket for Carlton back in mm-hmm. the mid-90s. And that was um, that's probably a piece of writing which um, really uh, coloured in a lot of the blanks I had about uh, him, the international player, but also the sort of bowler he was. And Chris Ryan wrote that back in 2010. It's probably one of the first bits of writing of his that I found you know, at the time and um, probably around the same time that he wrote Golden Boy, come to think of it. But it's totally worth reading. I put it on my Twitter account the other day. I think quite a few people shared yeah. that it's, piece it's called, at the time. It's called Abermania. Abermania. It's excellent. So if, you, if you just search Abermania, Mania, you will just find a lot of stuff about ABBA, yeah. which I discovered when I <laughs> looked for the piece a couple of days ago. Um, but just if, my Eurovision stuff. If you search ABBA Mania plus Abdul Qadir, you will find it. But what I just remember watching, like I've watched a lot of highlights of him because I wasn't really cognizant of cricket when he was playing. You know, retired at the end of 1990, and then a year later, Shane Warne debuts, and you know the the torch is handed over. But Abdul Qadir is the guy who keeps it alive during the 70s and 80s when it's all about fast bowling, mm. and um, you know there are there are a few sort of okay leg spinners who pop up here and there, but nobody's writing 10,000 word long reads about Dutchie Holland. No. Um, but watching, he, he's the first bowler I remember seeing having the, the bewitching action that where he runs into bowl and all of his limbs are going in different directions at once. A bit like Anil Kumbla used to come in where he'd sort of unfold himself into the delivery stride like a, a, in, in a way that's, that's quite unsettling, quite unnerving. And, you know, you wonder what it would have been like trying to watch that as a batsman and figure out what was going to come out of that mess of limbs. Yeah, age just 62 as well, you kind of reminded that, that, that sometimes the these elite sports people who have such prolific careers and all the rest of it are just as frail as the rest of us, really. So he's passed away at age 62, but yeah, what a career, what a cricketer, what an influence, and, and someone that has been some beautiful writing about him this week, which is worth getting your hands on. So moving from Chittagong over to the Caribbean, to Antigua, specifically, you mentioned Viv Richards before, that's where the Australian women have been plying their trade at Sir Viv Richards Stadium in Antigua. It's a fucking shithole, that ground, but... Um, um, what can you do? I absolutely fucking hate it, the Viv Richard Stadium. Um, they should blow it up and move back to the wreck over in the capital of St. John's, which actually is a cricket ground and still is there. It needs more than a lick of paint. But anyway, that all that said, it's the ground where Australia won the World T20 last year. Um, and there's a big mismatch going on here, and mm. I'm worried. I, I watched Australia beat the West Indies there last year in in the World T20 semi final, and the West Indies were expected to win that game. It's often yep. forgotten that Australia weren't the favourite in that semi final. They went on to win the competition, but 
there's something amiss with this women's West Indies team. I don't know what it is. Oh, there uh, has been for a while. But it's getting worse. I mean, in 2020 cricket, at least we saw last year, they had the ability to turn on on the global stage. But they were pounded by England ahead of the women's ashes over here uh, in, yeah, just, I don't know, four or five months ago. And, and they've lost the two. One day has so far absolutely been hammered. So the first one of those, Australia made four for 308. Healy turned up, Lanning as well. It was Lanning's... 13th limited overs century, which means that in she's... What, 70 matches? Well, I've got the stat in front of me here somewhere. She has got there in... I thought I had it in front of me. 76 innings, which is faster than... Well, oh, no, I've unfortunately, I've misplaced it. I did write this down earlier today, but you know what it's like with these things. You write notes and all the rest of it. No, no, here it is. It, she, she's done it um, quicker than Hashim Amla, who did it in 83 innings, and Virat Kohli, who did it in 86 innings. So reaching that mark of... 13 one-day tons, which is, you know, fairly astonishing. I mean, it just feeds into that, you know, that 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 argument we've made time and time again that she is without a doubt the most the most impressive batsman in in, in the women's game. Batter, I should say, we're, we're we're moving away from using batsmen in women's cricket now, but but the, the most impressive impressive batter statistically and and in the 50-over format of the game continues to be her best. Yeah, I mean that's where she's got the. That bit of extra time, but then I suppose as we saw with that demolition job in Chelmsford, you don't want to understate her twenty over. Not at all <laughs> credentials either, because oh, that's not underselling a T twenty. It's more just like when she gets to play this format. Yeah, it seems to bring out the best. It's in the her. one. It's it's made for her. So thirteen in seventy six. What's that? A hundred every six innings or thereabouts. Crazy. It's absolutely ridiculous stuff. Um, Perry in. The second one uh, oh, before, made, made before a ton as well. Just to, just to kind of like, to, just to completely explain just to what extent they were flogged. They were all that for one thirty. The West Indies. Yeah, so I'm after they got that many. After Healy and Lanning put on two hundred and twenty five for the second wicket, um, and out of that, Stefani Taylor made seventy not out at number three. Mm. Now I feel for Stefani Taylor. I feel for DeAndre Dotton, but especially Taylor. And where's where's the support? How is it still all on her shoulders? Like she's made more than 50% of the runs coming in, only one other score in double figures. And, you know, it's the usual suspects for Australia. Shoot, Perry, wear them all in the wickets. You know, they, they, they've just overwhelmed them there. And mm. then there was this drama before the second one day. I love this story. I mean, we've been following the career of Erin Burns for, for a while now, from yes. the Hurricanes to the Sixers. She is so consistent. As an all-rounder, I mean, last year she made 250 runs and yep. and took double figures wickets in the WBBL, earned her way onto this tour. Didn't play in the women's ashes, but did get an opportunity here. And then Meg Lanning goes to the toss and has a back spasm. And suddenly they, they're ripping the, the tags off her cap and like, right, here you go. You're in the side. Mm. So it was all very abrupt. But but there she was making her debut in the second one day. Getting time, like not getting time to stress out about it might be, might be quite nice in Perhaps. a way. Um, I'm really, really pleased for Erin Burns, she's, I think, consistently for a couple of seasons been the most effective under-the-radar player. You know, she's she's been integral in so many wins but almost never got the attention. You know, she always scores the second highest or the third highest score. You know, she makes the 42 when someone else makes the 64. Yeah. Um, useful wickets as well, very good in the field. You know, some of her outfielding has been exceptional and you know thoroughly deserves her spot and to have more success into the future so that was wonderful to see and then uh, and you've got you know Elise Perry with this little hurdle that she couldn't get over for quite a few years where she couldn't make a one day hundred she made something like 24 half centuries and hadn't converted well hadn't had the opportunity to convert them more often than not she'd run out of time because yeah. she'd come in at four but 
got the ton what earlier this year against New Zealand yep. and has doubled up, so she's got her second one day ton. Yeah, as well. it feels for a long time we were talking about oh, Lise Perry never made a hundred. It was a quirk in her stats column. Well, she's made all these big bash hundreds, two one day hundreds this year. Of course, the Test match ton in Taunton, which followed the double hundred at North Sydney in November 2017. So um, that's certainly now no longer part of the conversation. So one twelve not out in one hundred and eighteen balls. Uh, there was two other half centuries. Beth Meany made fifty six then. Ash Gardner, Aaron Burns, a Sydney Sixers teammate, smacks 57 not out in 25 balls at the end. The West Indies are swamped as always. It's a dreary 8 for 157 in 50 overs, so they've barely made it to the halfway mark of the chase. There's six wicket takers for Australia. It actually felt a lot like the one day as we saw in England with the West Indies earlier in the summer, really, didn't it? England made plenty of runs and would routinely um, just suffocate. Uh, the West Indies and, and that was the case here so the third one day is on Wednesday it's also at Antigua then they move to Barbados for three T20s and these are being played for ICC championship points as well so Australia well on track to take all of those Jeff Boycott got knighted yesterday mm. yep I mean I look if the BBC want to keep hiring Jeff Boycott to be a summariser on the radio look that's their prerogative like that's their call it's an editorial decision you know I wouldn't, but it, it's their decision um, to continue making, putting him on the radio, um, given his um, sketchy history. Um, but to be knighted, pretty much because he's complained about not being knighted for as long as he's been in the public co- conversation. What's he been knighted for exactly? When he said that in order to get a knighthood a couple of years ago, he'd need to, quote, black up. I mean, seriously? Not to mention the fact that he was convicted convicted of a domestic violence charge in 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 france 25 years Mm. ago i heard him on radio this morning saying that him being convicted in france is the reason why he doesn't support the united kingdom being in the eu yeah that was that was a bit of a stretch so the news parts of the bbc have scrutinized this quite heavily and then there's been this peculiar kind of backlash from some quarters saying that the bbc shouldn't be criticizing their own employee as if to say that the news program's are not separate enough from the cricket commentary that they can't scrutinise one of the cricket commentators. Yeah, well, it's kind of what I meant about... bizarre. From, from BBC are entitled to hire whoever they want. They go through their own process, like, whatever. Like, that's fine. No dramas with hmm. that. But yeah, but the news guys have a completely different job to do. Yeah. Like, once you start saying you can't scrutinise anyone that's taking any money from your yeah. organisation, then then where are you as a, a news organisation? You're nowhere. Well, you're not a news organisation at that point. Yeah. So that, that was, yeah, that was what particularly jarred this morning was, uh, well, this morning our time was when he was asked about that domestic violence charge. He said, oh, it's, you know, it's irrelevant and it's, and I don't give a toss. You know, it's, it was 25 years ago and, um, and, and basically was having pot shots at France and saying that that's, that's why he wanted to well, leave the EU. Yeah, well, Charlie so, Reynolds jumped on and, and did a little bit of digging around this. Um, he, he asserted that you were guilty until proven innocent in France, and, well, that's just not the case, is that, it? That so, doesn't sound like a <laughs> realistic interpretation of any no, legal process. No, and, and look, his, his attitude is, is that, yeah, it was 25 years ago, and he claims his innocence to this time, but he was convicted. He lost his job at the time as a consequence of this. So, um, you know, mm. uh, and, but really, what what's he being knighted for? Theresa May is given this prerogative when leaving office to um, knight a series of people. But the, the very fact... Services to what exactly? Usually when you get an honour like this, it's, it's on the basis of service. Yeah, It's a reflection of a, a body of work and service. Well, I mean, I, I know he made 22 test hundreds and had a long and illustrious cricketing career, but, I mean, he, I, I, can't, I can't quite piece this together. I think there, there are things about 
the UK that I can't get my head around. And one of them is that you have something called a resignation honours list for a prime minister, as in you've quit, but on your way out, you get to uh, confer titles of great privilege and, and possibly, you know, financial benefit and so on on people who you decide you like. So a bunch of um, people who worked in Theresa May's government or yeah. on her staff and so on were given various titles. CBEs, two former staffers. I'll yep. tell you what, I didn't get a CBE when I finished in politics, <laughs> nor <No>. should I. <laughs> um, wasn't there another knighthood dished out to former head of staff or something like oh, that? Okay. I wouldn't doubt it for a moment. I mean, Andrew Strauss, what I, I feel a bit sorry for Andrew Strauss, who's also been knighted, hmm. and a man who is making a considerable contribution at the moment um, outside of cricket hmm. as well uh, through the... Ruth Strauss Foundation and the fact that all the headlines are, are grouping him essentially with Jeff Boycott. It's 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 very odd. I think all of it's odd. I think it's bizarre that you have former cricketers being given knighthoods. It just doesn't I mean, you play cricket, great. It's good. We like it. It's fun. It's a it's a nice pastime. Yep. What does it what does it do that deserves this sort of um great man of the realm kind of idea you know why does why does alistair cook at what 34 years old need to have a knighthood um it it just seems it's it's populist and it's trying to make the the honors list relevant um to by treating it like a popularity contest and it's people with privilege giving benefits to other people with privilege yeah i know the opposition have said they're going to try and block the knighthood i'm not sure what parliamentary mechanism there is for that i Doubt there is, but I mean, yeah, it, he's a politicised figure as well, isn't he? Because there was, uh, he was leaned on heavily by the former prime minister when mm. talking about leaving the European he, Union. He, he was, he was used repeatedly by her as the example. My hero is Jeffrey Boycott, and I'm going to dig in and defend and defend and defend until I resign. And then, when I resign on my way out the door, I'm going to give him a a garland. Yeah, it's it's weird. It, um, but I think there's. There are strong reasons why a lot of people are uncomfortable about it, and why it's a talking point the way it is. In that interview on radio, this is not this is not funny, but it's <laughs> when he described when he when when he was asked about the domestic violence, he goes, "Oh, love." That's how he started yeah. the answer as well. That's that's a really good way to re- respond to a professional yeah. female journalist who's interviewing you. But um, you know, uh, it, 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 another appointment this week was Mike Baird is on the Cricket New South Wales board. I entered into a little bit of an exchange on social media about this, but decided to not go any further. Then I thought I'd do it here. But look, well, that's the end of day night cricket. Everyone will have to go home by seven pm. <laughs> well, I'm sure the Castle will be open. I'm sure the Star City will be open. Uh, they won't miss out there. Well, Mike- it's important for a cricket administrator to know how to give members of the Packer family exactly what they want. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's a very particular um, skill in, in Australian cricket. Look, I'll, I'll keep this brief simply to say that cricket has got a gambling problem. Cricket's always had a gambling problem. It's getting worse by the year. We've talked exhaustively about the, 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 the betting advertising around cricket around Australia's cricket venues and yes Cricket New South Wales is a separate body and look I understand and appreciate that that former politicians of all persuasions certainly governing persuasions end up on boards and that's fine just pick another lib like is, is, are they that light on I know he doesn't serve in the parliament anymore I know he's working at NAB and, and he's outside I'm sure he's a great networker and I'm sure he's a lovely bloke I have nothing to do with him but you know whatever I'm willing to accept that he, he loves the game and all those other things the problem he's got is that his reputation is forever and ever and ever and ever going to be linked to gambling and that's exactly what we're trying to what we're hoping cricket can break the cycle with sooner rather than later and yet this will just reinforce that that the, the that betting companies have a serious foothold in cricket in Australia. I also wonder why, 
and how if, if you, you take the politics out of it, who cares which team you support and all the yep, rest of exactly. it. Exactly. You look at someone who categorically didn't do a good job, someone who had a short tenure, torpedoed the nightlife industry in Sydney, caused massive economic damage, which is you know still being felt and will take a very long time to recover from, did nothing in that space except for support a big casino development and then resigned and wandered off after a couple of years as though the job was done. You know, that's in every measure unsuccessful from a objectively assessing how someone has performed as a leader of the state. And, I, you know, I don't think – I think it, it's very – it's impossible to argue that he has a legacy. He didn't leave one except for one of destruction. And so how is it that that person is someone who is then seen as valuable, seen as an asset, someone who you want to be involved with your organisation when they've – demonstrably failed in their previous appointment uh, with power and authority somewhere else. Yeah, look, it, it just comes back to this idea that I don't think political appointees are bad on boards, by the way. I mean, administration is fundamentally the job of ministers, and he did that. He did serve as a minister before he was premier and so forth. Not as though he hasn't got the skills to, to do the job. It's just that, like, it's such a tone-deaf appointment hmm. Um, and you know they can go on about what a great bloke he is and how much he loves cricket and whatever else like. but there would have been other alternatives who've also got experience in administration who've also got relationships around town who can lean on those to, to the best advantage of cricket and so forth they didn't need to go to the guy who has got as I say you know one thing that he's going to be remembered for more than all of what you mentioned before is his relationship with gambling that's the first thing on his Wikipedia entry essentially for the rest of his life mm. and this is the one thing that cricket has got a ginormous problem with like why why exas- why exacerbate it there, mm. there, were, there was a better way of handling this anyway so and there is there business. is there is another um, appointee to the cricket New South Wales board by the way Ed Cowan so oh yeah we, we can all get behind that um, Ed, <laughs> Ed I'm sure will do a great job and doesn't doesn't have the, the problem indeed Ed I should say has been fantastic on this issue but by the by Ed has been um, hugely uh, what did he say last year on social media it should be the easiest conversation an administrator mm-hmm. ever has when a gambling company comes to them asking to tip money into cricket no thank you yep no, the you. easiest dollar to say no to yep. it's it's the easiest one to take but it's the easiest one to turn down or it yep. should be we've said enough for this part of the show so we've got eliza butler coming on for a far more upbeat conversation and then andy zaltzman for a good old laugh so um that's the semi-serious bit done this is the final word i'm adam collins he's jeff lemon back in a sec with eliza butler G'day guys, this is Jimmy Neesham. You're listening to The Final Word with Adam Collins and Jeff Lehman. Well now on The Final Word, I'm thrilled to welcome Eliza Bartlett, who is a friend of ours, but also someone who has been listening to our podcast in all sorts of weird and wonderful places over the last four months. She is walking from the south of Italy, the bottom of Italy, all the way to Scotland uh, in aid of raising money for type 1 diabetes. Uh, In 2001, Eliza was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, which is the last time that Australia retained the ashes in England. So we thought this was a nice week to get her on. Uh, Since then, her life has included 45,000 injections or pump insertions or needles pricking her fingers. 5,000 hours spent recovering from low blood sugar, some of which nearly killed you, 3,800 hours of sleep lost due to diabetes, and $100,000 spent on treatment. And that's the amount of money you're trying to raise at the moment. Uh, Eliza, let's let's go back a couple of steps here. So you're the captain of Sturt Cricket Club in Adelaide, and you have uh, Megan Shute in your side. So the fact that this is a cricket podcast isn't coincidental because you've been making your way to each of the test matches this summer when Australia have been playing. Yeah, definitely. I'm... 
certainly a cricket tragic and have been my entire life. And I took off from this walk a couple of days after winning the flag for cert with Megan in the team and we'll get back just in time for round one. But I thought, what a great chance to walk by a few test matches and hopefully see the Aussies do well this year. You've been listening to this podcast as you've been walking through Europe during the World Cup. You met up with us initially in Chelmsford during the T20 component of the Women's Ashes and then decided to yeah continue through to Birmingham and Leeds and Manchester for some quite remarkable test cricket you've seen this summer, come to think of it. But um, the serious side is that this is the condition you've lived with for, what is it, 18 years and affects people very seriously, perhaps a lot more seriously than, than the term diabetes. We, we I think we perhaps think of it as quite a easily managed thing uh, but what you've gone through it's it's anything but people living with type 1 the awareness isn't really there so we look generally pretty normal and you can't tell that behind the scenes we're struggling what's a 24-hour illness so everything we eat we have to calculate the amount of insulin that we have to give ourselves by injection or insulin pump and with not just what we're eating we have to calculate what the weather's like and how that's going to affect our blood sugars our stress levels our exercise especially with the little kids with diabetes that also affects their families and their parents who are waking up two three times a night just to make sure they're still breathing and alive and that's why i'm so passionate about helping others still living with it because i know firsthand what it's like and also hopefully find a cure well, how many years ago did you walk from Adelaide to Melbourne? That's a while ago now, isn't it? Yeah, six years ago now. That took it out of you, didn't it? I mean, there were a lot of injuries you acquired along the way. That was really tough. Uh, four days into that walk, I damaged a few tendons. That fourth or fifth day, I couldn't even stand for half the day, which meant I had a shorter day, which is still 23Ks. But that meant I had to make up an extra 20Ks the following days. And I had stress fractures, torn tendons, and had to go to hospital for blisters because I was so badly infected, covering basically my whole feet. I knew I wasn't going to give up, so I was Googling wheelchairs and seeing how I'd get there, but in the end I managed to, to walk it all. Just in time to watch the Crows play Carlton at the NCG, so that was my plan and I made it. Give us a bit of a flavour for some of the weird and wonderful things you've been exposed to in your travels over the last four months. I've been chased by wild dogs and cows and then I've met sort of lovely people and also lovely animals. I've um, become quite, quite excited when I now see a, a cow running through a field. Things like that, but I've uh, um, I've had floods and had to wade through sort of knee deep um, floods that are running pretty fast and trying not to get blown away to having to trek through the snow, um, which normally there's no snow at that time of the year on the track I'm meant to walk. Um, so lots of just things I hadn't planned for, but sort of all added to the experience as I've gone along. Eliza, the numbers say that you've spent 5,000 hours recovering from low blood sugar. Malcolm Gladwell's theory is you need to spend 10,000 hours on something to become an expert. (laughs) Would you say you're an expert yet? (laughs) No, I don't think I ever will be. I guess every blood sugar is a bit different and hopefully I never become an expert on it because hopefully there's a cure before I get to that 10,000 mark. Yeah, and and coming to that, you've raised $54,252.05 so far, which is absolutely astonishing and we want we want to get you over that hundred thousand dollar mark and in order to do so you've set up a fantastic blog which i've been reading religiously eliza bartlett jdrfwalk.com we'll put that in the show notes and on our social media so that you know to remember that but eliza bartlett jdrfwalk.com and of course they can find you on social media but clicking through to that they're able to make a contribution in the usual way the reason we know each other is because of cricket that made us pals and a lot of other people along the this journey that we're on touring around the world with cricket but the fact you've been able to convert that into something so so marvelous uh, it certainly deserves our full support 
Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, every donation means so much because the research at the moment is going in leaps and bounds and it's super exciting to me to know how much has changed in the last 18 years and how much it will again. Well, Eliza, thanks for taking some time out. Where are you walking right now, by the way? We should have asked you this off the top, but where, where do we find you? I'm currently in the Lake District near Windermere, but I'm sitting in a paddock full of sheep. So none, none of them have come, come up to me or chased me yet. A most authentic way for us to be talking to you, given you're right in the middle of your remarkable task. Eliza Bartlett, thanks so much for being part of the final word. Congratulations, rather, again on what is quite a mighty effort. Thanks so much for having me on. Bartlett for America, Maxwell for Australia. <laughs> Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw, and you're listening to the Final Word Podcast. Now then, Adam. Walking from Italy to Scotland made me think of something. If you were walking a long distance from one country to another through various different uh, national boundaries and um, different jurisdictions and across rugged mountain ranges and all the rest of it, what is a safety device you might want to have with you? Sat phone. A sat phone, you say? Sat phone. If you were going to get a sat phone, where would you get one from? From the sat phone shop. Sat phone shop. Com. I think I might as well, because they can get you a phone that works with satellites, not with bodgy 3G networks, like which don't work anyway. They never fucking work. I mean, it's it's as though uh, I've got a bit of a problem with King's Cross Station here mm-hmm. in London, which is a station I'm at most days. Why is it that in a two-kilometer radius, I can never get any signal? Um, it's always causing me grief. I want a sat phone. You want? Yeah, you want a sat I phone. I just want a sat phone for that two kilometre radius area just, just to pull out at King's Cross just get just like to get, just to get out on the way to yoga the hard plastic safety case <laughs> with the foam like rubberised in it so you can pop it out <laughs> no, you need to have it attached to you with a carabiner or something like yeah. just, just attached to the webbing you know the um, the well those those ammunition belts um, I used to have a, across you yeah the bandolier hey, you used to have one no I, no I had a mate who had one of those um, but he would fill it up with those um, cream whipper nitrous chargers in, <laughs> instead of <laughs> <laughs> of course he did <laughs> and wander around various festivals nonetheless um, yeah. if you wanted to get a satellite phone then it doesn't you don't have to get a sim card and get on a 3G network and and the networks are always called something stupid like hello yes or you know happy zone or some bullshit like that and you know you, you, you don't want to get involved with it but you can get a satellite phone and it works off satellites it just goes into space into Space. I wonder like, how many satellites there are up there. Lots, and it's apparently it's getting quite crowded, and they're having to be really um, inventive to make sure they don't smash into each other. But really, as Matthew Hayden said to Don Bradman, there's a lot of room in the air, Don, um, <laughs> when he was told to hit them along the ground. So you know, they, cop that, Don. To cop that, Don. So they're managing. You only hit six sixes. I hit six sixes in before I get out of fucking bed, Jack. <laughs> So there are satellites zooming all around the place and you can uh, zoom up and connect with them. So they've got these Iridium phones which are engineered to withstand rugged environments so customers can depend on it as a critical lifeline. But you want to know what's even better than getting a phone is you can get a Wi-Fi hotspot that works anywhere on the planet. What? You can just satellite. No, this, I knew you would oh, actually... A hotspot that works anywhere. I, I knew you'd actually be um, excited by this. You can connect anywhere on Earth, even in places where you think it's impossible, as long as the unit has a clear line of sight to the satellite. So as long as you can see the sky, 
you can get Wi-Fi, right? You even can, if there's clouds? Yeah, even if there's clouds. Um, you flip up an integrated antenna and a battery-powered unit connects automatically. Oh, what? I can to flip the, an antenna up like an 80s You can flip phone. an antenna up to an Iridium LEO satellite constellation, not just one satellite, but a constellation of them, to create a Wi-Fi hotspot with a 30-meter radius. And it even comes in this sick, bright orange, hard plastic sort of box that you can pop open like the briefcase in Pulp Fiction and then pull out your magic Wi-Fi hotspot that'll work anywhere in the world. This is awesome. How yeah. do I get one of these? You go to sat phone shop, all of those words spelt as you might expect, dot com. Uh, and they've got all that gear and they've got a bunch of other gear besides and they're sponsors of us on The Final Word, as you might have guessed. And uh, we I like, just like sat phones, personally. Yeah, you, I can tell no, you. No, I do. Yeah, you, you want... Fully charged, you want to integrate the fully charged company yeah. with a sat phone connectivity. You're anxious about battery and you're anxious about connection. So you could have both. That's all I'm saying. Together. Satphoneshop.com. Forever. They sponsor us. They help keep us on the air. We're very grateful to them. And uh, and we're going to get some sweet sat phone swag at some point and, and check it out next time we have to do a, a broadcast from Durham Shala or something like that. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. We're going to use the sat phone shop next time we buy the rights to something, which will be soon. Which will be soon. Hopefully. We'll see. Uh, let's have a break and then let's have an airplane. This is the final words Nerd Pledge, where we get nerds and they pledge to other nerds who work out what the pledges are. It's the game we play through our Patreon page where people send amounts of money that relate to amounts of cricket. Particles of cricket, instances of cricket, and we're very, very pleased to have on the show today Andy Zaltzman. He's had a busy, busy summer with the World Cup, did basically every game at the World Cup scoring, <laughs> did basically every show at the Edinburgh Comedy Festival, Fringe Festival, whatever the festival, and then is doing basically every Final Word podcast today, which is this one. <laughs> here he is. Welcome, Andy. Thanks. Thanks. It's nice to be completist about doing all of your shows today. We were looking at uh, getting you on at some point through the summer, but uh, the volume of games that you scored during the World Cup, and I mean, it's not unusual for you to keep a pretty busy dance card, but what did it work out to be? How many, including, you know, obviously the semi-finals and the final, how many times were you the man on Test Match Special telling it as it was? Uh, well, telling it how you can make the numbers tell it. That's not necessarily how it was or is. <laughs> uh, 31 games I did during the World Cup. Wow. And, That's uh, more than we did. And we did a lot of games. Yeah, yeah was, we did 24 maybe. Something yeah. ridiculous, yeah. It was, um, that was a lot of cricket. I mean, that, that's including a couple of games rained off. I'm including those in my yeah, tally. Yeah, you got to. No, we're, we're certainly cutting those. So I, I think you and I, didn't we, weren't we in, on the tube together on the way into the final and we were kind of going in there just anxious, hoping it would be, just don't be a blowout. Yeah, yeah. Just don't be a bad final. <laughs> All we want to make sure is that both the teams are relatively evenly matched and look, maybe we'll get lucky and we won't know who's going to be the winner at 5pm. <laughs> Um, in the end, we didn't know the winner at 7.42 whenever the game we finished. Still yeah. wasn't there still wasn't really a winner. <laughs> yeah. I saw someone on on, uh, on Twitter to sledge me then about something, actually. Uh, Joe Root said in the press conference this afternoon, well, even though we haven't won the Ashes, it's been absolutely a successful summer because we won the World Cup. And, of course, someone replied said, no, you didn't. Didn't win the World Cup. I'm like, that's why everyone hates us around the cricket because <laughs> we can't fucking help ourselves. <laughs> didn't win. Maybe they, well, did win. I mean, won the World Cup under the regulations. Yeah, didn't exactly. didn't tie, outscore an opponent. A tie plus a tie equals a win. Yeah, unless right. you're from New Zealand when it yeah. goes around the other way. Right. you're over the equator, isn't it? Yeah. 
reverses back down the drain. So yeah. we, we're going to play a version of Nerd Pledge Quiz today. I'm sort of making up the rules as I go along because it'll partly be collaborative, but I think I'll just also award points when I feel like it yep. um, to one or other of you. Um, so, you know, cricket We should won't. explain that we've done this before twice, haven't we? We had Daniel Norcross, another, well, two of your Test Match special colleagues, actually. Daniel Norcross, an illustrious commentator, and Andrew Sampson, who does the Test Match side of the Alleger when you're doing the White Bull stuff. So I think we, we couldn't have got two better people really mm. to join us through the back half of the summer. And, and a third. We couldn't have got a third better one. Who is also here. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. I'm saying I, we, we couldn't we couldn't have done it better. We we we've got the full suite. We really tapped into the BBC. Well, I'm getting my yeah. license. What right. do you call it? License license um, fee. License fee. I'm getting my money's worth this getting year. Getting your license to thrill. Yeah. So uh, so what we do is you know people when they sign up on on Patreon instead of saying two bucks a month they say two bucks forty one or whatever it is and we work out what two forty one means. Adam and I do this as a cooperative enterprise, but we, you know there will be a bit of competition today. Something we don't actually know what the answer is too because it's not like people tell us. But so I will decide which answer I like better <laughs> in the event that there is not an answer. So shall we get underway and a special thank you to all of the patron subscribers who keep the podcast afloat by chucking a few bucks in the tin each at a time and by God it makes a difference. First cab off the rank today is Joel Burton. Thank you Joel. His amount 371. 371. What does it mean? Is it the number of chances Johnny Bairstow still has to prove that he's still got it as a test player <laughs> before England drop it. His name's on the screen right now. 69 test matches, 119 innings, an average of 35, but that was an average closer to 45 three years ago. It really mm. has fallen away. Yeah, he, I mean, he essentially had he had a very good kind of 18 months or two years on either side of that. Mm. Uh, firstly, I think, you know, he was inexperienced and working his game out, and since then I think he's... It's, since he focused on white ball cricket, he can't hit the ball when it's on his stumps anymore. Didn't you work out last week the volume of times he's been bowled in league before is like without precedent in the modern game? Yeah, it's it's three times and over. Um, it's not. <laughs> but, uh, there was uh, he did last summer. I think he was bowled out six or seven times in England's Test summer, which equaled yep. the most by any individual batsman in an English test hunt, test summer. Uh, and that record went back to, oh, it was someone pre-First World War. Right. Mm. Someone maybe in the triangular summer of 1912 and Ted Dexter in the, in the 60s. We talked about the triangular series on our live show a couple of weeks ago in Manchester, which we completely failed to acknowledge in the first half of the show, didn't we, Jeff? But it went very well. I we think f- it was Aubrey Faulkner it. from memory. Aubrey Faulkner. That. It was always nice to give a, yeah. Aubrey a mention. Yeah, yeah of course. Doesn't of get course. enough. Yeah, Jerry Kimber, of course, has written eloquently about Aubrey Faulkner. Uh, the grandfather of James Faulkner. That's <laughs> <laughs> not true. I just Well, it might be. I don't know. Probably I can't the great-grandfather. Maybe the great-great-grandfather. Three, 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 seven, one doesn't leap out at me as a, as a cricket stat. Do you, want to, do, you want to, do you want to guide us down well, somewhere, Jeff? Well, I think it might have something to do with a venue we've visited recently. Okay. A venue that we have visited recently. Very so, recently. Very re- so perhaps right. last week when we were at Old Trafford. It could have been. Right. Last Not week Spearmint Rhino, was it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Club three seven one. I remember about fifteen years ago Robbie Williams came to Melbourne and declared that he'd given up shagging. He'd right. retired from rooting. And, and, and he chose to do the PR what event for him. What do you hang up? When, yeah, when you he, retire, yeah, what do you he, hang up? He hang, you hang up your boots when he's done yeah, yeah, he, 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 he hung up the, the python. And, and, um, and, and he did it in the Spearmint Rhino strip club in Melbourne. What a great place to say you've, you, you've, you've put the wand away. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, I digress. Well, a venue we've been to recently. Uh, so we've been to Manchester. Oh, right. We've been to Leeds, but I'm, I'm guessing it's Manchester given the way that Jeff's Yep. Intimating to us. What happened 371 there? 371. What happened on the last day of the match at Manchester? Right. Oh, hang on. The Desperate last. Rear guard. 
day at Manchester. Well, there was a rear guard which Ricky Ponting orchestrated in 2005. I doubt that's what Australia would have made in the fourth innings there because they were chasing a shitload, but not that. Well, Jeff's eyebrows are heading Australia up. Australia made 371 in the fourth innings. Australia made 371 in the fourth. Bloody innings. hell, there you go. And just looking at my chart here, by the way, um, the 371st player to earn a baggy green, uh, 371st man, I should say, because of course there's been a separate list for women, is uh, Andy Bickell. Uh, oh, a- Andy Bickell, who also, Andre Bichel. who also has history uh, with, with the ground we were at last year, Jeff, at Port Elizabeth, where he yeah. popped James Anderson into the scoreboard to win a World Cup game in 03. Too well, soon. Too soon, <laughs> because I mean that that old Trafford Test of 05, You don't think of the score in a fourth innings rear guard. You think of the the not out, the overs. The, yeah, the overs or the yeah, the, the wickets of time. down. I mean, I think I I had to go on stage at the Edinburgh Festival that year. I, I was doing a show with John Oliver. And we we started at I think six forty, and with a bit of overrun, we had to go on. I think with an over left, oh, and man. I left the radio with the the guy who was on the door in our venue and said. Yeah, you know, when when it's finished, just pop your head around the door and tell us what happened in the game. So five minutes into the show, because, you yeah. said, "I'm sorry, Glenn McGrath and Brett Lee have yeah, blocked yeah. out the last 21 balls." Well, I was making the case last week, Andy. Before um, we go on, well, mm. Jeff and I were making the case collectively at our live show that Old Trafford is the best Ashes venue in terms of crazy shit that's happened. Going back to 1884, admittedly, it's not just a recency biasing. That there are so many Test matches that happened mm. at Old Trafford before the war, which were completely mental, and there's been plenty since as well. Yes. And 1938 rained off completely. Yes, which, you know, yes yep. one of the, and it was yep. the second test match ever rained off. And yep. the first one ever rained off was also at Old Trafford. Yep. So there you go. Just um, Mixing and matching. Just take your cord under that cord. Yep. Right. Next. Okay, so well, I'm going to give the 371 point to Andy, given that Adam said it definitely won't be 371. <laughs> that just in the fourth innings. Uh, well, they didn't chase it, but they were 371 for nine when McGrath saw it out. 137. 137. 137. Uh, that comes through from Hayden Smith. Hayden Smith sounds like a Jeff Boycott fan, and Boycott made 137 on this ground, the Oval, in 1981, from memory. Is yeah. that right? That is so. correct. Boycott, yeah, Boycott 137. Did do so, that. so in the same test match that Dirk Weller made his debut and was one of the 20 Australian men to make a century on debut, that happened that Who match Who couldn't forget? And I think he spent about 137 minutes on 99 yeah. from memory. Yeah, yeah. went to lunch well, on 99 as well or something like that, didn't he? So. Yeah. 55 players have made 137, so there are plenty to choose from. Uh, Give Char- us a couple of others. Charlie McCartney, Stan McCabe, uh, Keith Miller. So some Where was the names. Keith Miller one? Which, which hundred of his? Uh, it was the West Indies in Bridgetown. Okay. But I, th- I don't think, I, th- I think it's, well, there, there are a couple it could be. Um, so, oh, right, okay. I think we saw one last year, didn't we, Andy? I think, in fact, I know we did. The, the prettiest man in all the world, the prettiest man in all the game. And I'm not talking about Ben Folks, I'm talking about <laughs> his teammate, Chris Wokes. <laughs> oh, yes, Lord's. The, the, the breakthrough hundred. That was a lovely yeah. hundred too, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah batting with Johnny Bairstow then Sam Curran. Yeah, he's a, well, he's a lovely batsman. He is. He's a lovely man, really. Yeah. I wonder whether there's a dark side to Chris Wokes. I wonder whether oh, it is um, like that's, that sounds like a whole podcast series in itself. <laughs> yeah. The dark side of Chris <laughs> Wokes. Some slash fiction about Chris Wokes and Ben Folks, perhaps. A couple of our faves have one thirty sevens. Jimmy Neesham, Shakib Al Hassan, both both have made one thirty sevens mm. in Test cricket. But there's another one who I so look. It could be Wokes. So I don't know if Hayden is a, an England fan. Or an Australian fan. What's Hayden's last name? Smith. Sounds Australian. <laughs> Sounds very Australian. Sounds Australian. Hayden Smith. Could be, could be a big Wokes fan. 
Also, there's a 137 that you and I watched, Adam, in that is very memorable that happened in the northern state of Australia. <laughs> happened in Brisbane. A few years ago. It was okay. not made by an Australian. Um, okay, was it Assad Shafiq? It was Assad Shafiq oh, on the last day when they chased, what? nearly chased 500. One of my all-time favourite test matches. Absolute dross for Three and a half days, and then Pakistan decided to make it ever so memorable. They fell 40 runs short. I remember you and I, Jeff, when it stood with the Pakistan fans, and they were in tears. They started crying. I started crying. Maggie started laughing. She's such a little trooper. No, they, um, they, it, it, was a, it was a wonderful, you know, what was probably, what, two hours between 1pm yeah. and 3pm in the day five of day-night test match, and it was worth it. It was great. Yeah, they made 450-odd in the last yep. innings and, and very nearly pulled off the most ridiculous chase, Mitchell Stark. Uh, was the difference in the end. So thank you, Hayden. Uh, one in from Nick, no last name, anonymous Nick, 937. What does 937 oh, that, mean? That sound, that's Jim Laker at Old Trafford. First innings, isn't it? Bingo. Yes, it in about 16 overs, and then his 10 for took 50-plus overs, I think, in the second innings. How, how little did they celebrate? I went back to watch um, the wickets because of the... We, we mentioned Laker on the live show again in keeping with that Old Trafford theme, and... I mean, there, there are wickets where Laker doesn't even acknowledge that he just took a wicket. He, yeah, he looks slightly resentful that the, that the batsman's out, but he can't bowl at them anymore. Not as mm. resentful as Tony Locke, I'm tipping down <laughs> the other end, falling away. <laughs> One wicket in the match. Jim Maxwell revealed to us who the the who the uh, who were the two Englishmen who made hundreds in that Test match were, and well, I can't remember what they were, but I know they were two obscure batsmen. They, yeah, I don't I think, think they were. That's why it's his great trivia question, because even when he tells you, you still can't remember. Yeah, can, I, can I have a guess? Please. I think it was. <laughs> David Shepherd. Yes, it was. One David. was the Rev. The Reverend. And yep. was it Peter Richardson? Yes, yeah. let's say it let's is. Say <laughs> I've, got to, I've got to look this up now. Uh, yeah. think... While you're while you're looking it up, Zaltz, let's okay. go. So nine thirty seven is clearly Laker. Who who clearly made that contribution? Laker. That was Nick. Anonymous Nick. Anonymous Nick, thank you so much. That's ridiculously generous. We're really grateful for that. Um and I'm glad that you're able to have Zaltz here to t- t- tell us all about it. He's fist pumping too, so I, I suggest yeah. he's right. He's got it. Yeah, it's the first time Peter Richardson's ever received a fist bump. And who was the? I assume he's no longer with us. We should we no should go and visit us. his um, yeah. visit his resting place and yeah. give him an honorary fist pump. Okay. Who's the wicket lock picked up? By the way, it should be on your card there somewhere. Lock, uh, Burke. Jimmy oh, Jimmy Burke. Burke. Right. For right. Who? Who mm. went on to have a third third wicket of the yeah. of the innings? Okay. First innings. The grandfather go. of Burke Street. Yeah. 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 Well, Jimmy Burke. <laughs> Um, next up is from Surrey Strutt. So I'm going to guess this has something to do with Surrey. 326. 326. Right. That's not a jump, a number that immediately leaps out at me. Is like, it the number of extra wickets that Stuart Broad thinks he should have had in his <laughs> test career? Had the catches, had the catches been, taken. been taken and the LBW's been given. Or had the catches been taken, he'd have comfortably 100 or more, I'm sure. Well, it's Bob Holland's test cap, and of course Bob passed away last year, so it might be might be a homage or a tribute rather to, to Dutchie Holland, who of course played here in 1985. It's about as good as I can do. I don't think anyone's made 326 in test cricket, have they? Uh, no, no. Sandham three twenty five. Is it the number of different plans England have tried to Steve Smith <laughs> this ashes? Quite likely, um, and they've gone back to the original plan, <laughs> which is Plan B, because they've given up on Plan A. I mean, I think Plan A wasn't Plan A having a couple of leg slips and you know the usual thing, right? We'll get him leg before. We'll get him leg before. You won't get Steve Smith yeah, leg before. It doesn't happen. Just won't. The only way you can get him leg before is if he is fully concussed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's you. You have to have knocked him out in the previous hour in order to have him leg before. So 
yeah, look, I, I'm guessing it's a Surrey connection. I don't know if that Bob Holland had a strong link to Surrey. <laughs> might have stumped us. We might, we might be, uh, I mean, we could do a bit of Googling, but that would be against the spirit of the competition. Oh, Absolutely right. not. I Google I constantly through Google the constantly. competition. Why don't you ask Michael Googley? Why don't you tell <laughs> us the next number while I look this up? <laughs> the next one, we need a round of trumpets, actually, for the next one, because this is, um, by a distance, the most... Uh, Okay. Uh, Remember in 2015. Remember in 2015 when um, the ECB said to KP, no, 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 you you can play Test cricket again. You can play Test cricket again. You just got to make lots of runs in the county championship. And remember when he came it's and played here for. One. Remember he came and played here for a second, and we're we're looking at over the oval right now from the Five Live box, yeah. and they played on the pitch all the way over to the Harleyford Road, and and he batted there and hit about forty sixes and made three hundred and twenty six not out. There we go. There you go. I and think that's was that it. his last first class innings. It's going to have to be close because that was when they said, "No, buddy, you're not playing yeah. regardless." We lied about the runs yep. thing. Mm. Yep, we we made something up, and you have you have caught us out. We'll admit that you have caught us out. But what we're not going to do is pick you. Well, there reasons. you go, Kevin Peterson. I'm, I'm in a way. I'm. Oh, I'm not really glad he's in. Did you see what Kevin Peterson said about Jack Leach overnight, no. saying that uh, I mean I'm paraphrasing here, but essentially that he he he's been he's been milking. I think Warren said he milked what happened at, at Leeds, but then Peterson was getting stuck into him, saying, "Well, he's only taken eight wickets at 30. It frustrates me all this attention he's getting. Well, yeah, it must it must be really terrible for someone to enjoy being part of one of the most iconic test results in the history of the game. <laughs> it's right. just really bad form to who enjoy gets stuck that. Into, who gets stuck into Jack Leach? Is, is Peterson that attention-deprived at the moment that he thinks that that's the yeah. person he should... Well, also, eight wickets of 30 isn't bad in the last three tests. When you compare it with, with Nathan Lyon, one of the finest spinners of his era, mm. who's got worse figures in, over those three games. Yeah, he's gone at 37 in those three games. I saw someone pop mm. on Twitter. Anyway... Um, KP. The, yeah, we, we, we have to have... This is the most generous contribution in the history of Nerd Pledge. This is from our, our friend Simon Wallace. Thank you, Simon. Hi, Simon. The amount is $81.61. Eight, Good grief. Yes. So, A, that's a ridiculous amount of money to give to a podcast. Simon, <laughs> For, Simon what are you doing? Simon, are your kids being fed? Um, <laughs> but it is 8161. What, what is, what is eight, 8161? Uh, that's the test runs of someone, surely. 81, 81, 61 sounds like a test runs. A test tally. Yeah, 8161 runs. I'm just I was gonna... thinking something about 1981. Could it be to do with like Headingley 81 or. Yeah. If, if there was there any a, 61s in there. If there was a famous 61 in 1981. Has there been an 8 for 161? Has there been an 8 for 161? Classic. Yeah, that's a. Has there? Bowling analysis. Titch uh-huh. Freeman or whatever it was used to have those nut <laughs> figures all the time, didn't he? Wasn't that, wasn't that part of his stick? Sacklane took an expensive 8 for. Eight for one sixty one could be a chase as well. It could be a narrow chase in a test match, fourth yep. innings type jobby, or it could be a one day international that ended abruptly or something like that. Was it eight one six one is that a sequence of scores David Warner's had this <laughs> <laughs> That's good enough, I reckon. It probably it's is. Pretty close to the mark. No no one has scored in fact between eight thousand one hundred and thirteen and eight thousand two hundred and seventy three. Well, Amler and Sawag okay. currently in test cricket. What's oh sorry, that's ODI cricket. Yeah. I'm seeing on the, by the way, one of the things we get to do in our jobs is look at yeah. the scoreboard before the scoreboard becomes real. And I'm looking at Skies as they mock up their screen for tomorrow. It's got England at seven for two after two overs <laughs> with Burns on five, Stokes on one. And Mitchell Stark has the tidy analysis of two for one from one. So I might take a photo of that and post it. <laughs> I've seen England bat before. Yeah. <laughs> Eight for one, six, four is what Sackland must right. to. No. So it's not that. Hang on. Could be a first class no, no, I've You've got I've, it. I've got it. I've, I've got it. It's, tweaked. it's not a chase. It's a, it's a score. It's 8.161. Jump in a time machine. Go yep. back three years. Yep. 2016. Okay. 
What country am I in? Sri Lanka. I'm in Sri Lanka. Candy. Pelikelli. Is it the Okay, it, it's, I, it's, I didn't do. That's the one. That's one of the three test matches I've not I've not been at for the last six years Australia yeah. have played. So that's <laughs> I'm, at a, I'm at a disadvantage there. It's the afternoon of the fifth day when the rain is threatening to come in, and Australia oh. are trying to save the test match. When Steve O'Keefe's batting with Steve O'Keefe's batting with Peter Neville, Peter and the Neville. score remains on eight for one hundred and sixty-one for about four hours <laughs> as they block out two sessions. Wonderful, Simon. And Simon would have been calling that he for White Lime Wireless, and that's why I've just twigged because that was at one point he was going to get it put on a shirt because he'd, <laughs> he'd called the score at the end of that over at eight for one sixty-one every over for hours and hours. And hours eight for one sixty one. What a day! There was there was one scoring shot in that partnership, um, and that was a boundary that Steve O'Keefe accidentally hit from an inside edge that ran away to find like <laughs> proper test batting. Proper test batting, and then eventually they couldn't do it, and they were they were bowled out. And there, it was the one day it didn't rain. It rained uh, the third session of every day of that test was washed out entirely. The rain came at tea every day. And that day they got through the first two sessions, and then the rain didn't come, and they got bowled out. Tell me in that series, what made Mitchell Stark? so much better in that series than he has been since uh, the ball was reversing a lot no comment um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely reversed a lot at Gaul but it, but in Gaul it was a clay court it was you know the, the roughest pitch I've ever seen it was obscene Dilrawan Pereira was doing ridiculous things Herath took a hat trick you know it was <laughs> um, Kawaji got out twice in the same day in two different innings Andrew Pearson 229 well, I know 229 because I was out talking about it 10 minutes ago. Okay. <laughs> uh, Daniel Norcross, who, who we mentioned before, has done Nerd Pledge before, has predicted that Stephen Smith will make 229 at the Oval this week on the basis that it is the lowest unclaimed highest score. Have I described that correctly? Yes. The it lowest is, unclaimed test score. No one's made a... No one, yeah, everyone, everyone's made a score up until 229, mm. but there's yeah. no one that's made 229. Yes. People have been on 229, but they've never finished yeah, the innings on 229. So that's got to be that, and I don't know why that would be relevant um, other than the fact that there must be someone who's who's enjoyed quirky stats over the years and, and, and I think we've out. discussed it on the pod in the last couple of months when we yeah. tried to guess other numbers, and, and da- it hasn't Darren been Goff's that. career wickets. Okay. Test wickets. Oh, very nice. Next up on our list is Peter Langstaff, which of course is Norwegian for Peter Longstaff, and his <laughs> nerd pledge number is 102. Thanks, Peter. Well, I'll just start by saying that Peter's been a great supporter of ours on social media for many years, so thank you so much, Peter, not just for your nerd pledge, but for your con- continued backing of what we're trying to do here. Um, 102, there's a shitload of 102s, isn't there? So that's going to be a hard so, one. So, so um, Is there anything that there jumps out? There are 121 out? innings of 102. Okay. I'm going to throw this, my personal favourite, 102. <laughs> Okay. which was the number of balls faced by Ian Botham at Old Trafford in 1981 when he uh, made 118. And he, he, so that, that was in the fifth test. He made yep. 149, got yep. out of 148 at, at Headingley, then took his spell of 5-1 at Edgebaston at Old Trafford. In It was a very slow-scoring mm-hmm. pitch. He came in three off his first 30 balls and then 115 off the next 72. Unbelievable. And, and, and look, we, he says, doesn't he, that's the best innings he played in the series, in the, the, the half century and the century at Leeds, which, you know, turned the match. But he says the innings he played at Manchester was better again. And, yeah, that's kind of borne out by the statistics there. Like it's, uh, yeah. And the, the, what, the great thing about the, the old Trafford innings, I mean, obviously it didn't have such an impact on the game. England was at a first innings lead of 100, was that at the other end was Chris Tavaray batting... <laughs> As if trying to eradicate the entire concept of hope and beauty for the entire universe. <laughs> and doing it tremendously. I love Tavare. I grew up in Kent and he was a Kent player. So I was, I remember, and that was the first summer I remember watching cricket on the telly. And uh, 
So he was a. I, I, I loved him, but it was a great, great contrast. The Tavare mm. both in partnership. Speaking of Tavare, we're losing a great link to Tavare this year at the end of the county championship season. So in a couple of weeks from now, well, that's assuming the man in question plays again. But Tavare also played for Somerset, and in 1993 he was the captain of Somerset when one Marcus Truscothic was debuting. Mm. Tavare is now 65 years old. <laughs> <laughs> Truscothic is still playing, albeit I don't know. Is Marcus going to play the last couple of? I, I doubt he will, given how close the title run is, but. I suppose he's some chance. I yes. hope so. It'd be really lovely if Somerset won their first ever county championship with Truscothic in the side at age, I don't know, like 100. <laughs> um, uh, but yes, Tavaray link there. A nice one. Life is a Tavaray old show. <laughs> Come to the Tavaray. Also, there's another 102 stat. It's yep. the lowest, high, highest score by anyone with multiple test centuries. So, <laughs> people who've got, who've got two test hundreds, 102 is the lowest, highest score. Is that Habajan Who owns it? Uh, Peter Willey. Oh. Yep. He had 102 not out and 100 not out, both against West Indies for England. And Syed Kermany, the Indian wicketkeeper, who's highest of 102 oh, yes. uh, against England in 90, the 84 85 series. That's why you're here, Zoltz. That yep. is special. Syed Kermani. In fact, Asad Shafiq's 137. That's his highest test score. He's got about nine test hundreds. He's got he? 12 test hundreds, and that is the lowest, highest mm. score of anyone with 10 or more test hundreds. That, right. that's, that's very Mark War areas from yeah. Asad Shafiq, Mark isn't Moore, it? 20 test hundreds, highest 153. He's the highest. That's the lowest highest score of anyone with more than 15 tests. We're all over this. And the Mark War 150, he was in hospital the night before on a drip. So the only time he went on with it, really went on with it, was, was when he was um, not well, when he was poorly uh, at Bangalore in 1998. Not into the big daddy hundreds. More than no, no. step uncle. His hundreds. next highest score was 140, which would have been in Antigua mm. in 1991. 139 on debut. So after that, there are a slew of scores between 100 and 139. Alan Lamb, 1400, highest 142. No. Okay. One These are good. This is nice. Big, big hundreds. This is this is exactly the kind of rabbit hole we hope to go down. <laughs> um, one one hundred and two. There was a you, you had one earlier, didn't you? A World Cup final. Uh, Clive Lloyd, yeah, yep. first oh, yeah. World Cup final. One mm. of the arguably mm-hmm. one of the most important innings in the history of cricket. In that, I think that game catapulted one day cricket into global cricketing consciousness. Right. And he came in at fifty for three. I think mm. scored one hundred and two off. 85 balls mm. and it was a by the standards of cricket at the time you remember the, you know the prevailing scoring rate in test cricket was of 2.4 and over at the time 2.5 and over to play an innings like that in a world cup final i i think you you could you could make in terms of the influence on the mm. game and its evolution its popularity that be right up there. It was the only time I, I almost kind of got emotional calling the World Cup finals when I sort of said, this is better than 1975. You know, you forget Thompson and Viv Richards and Lily and Derek Murray at the end. Yeah. This is better than that. And I'm like, shit, this is fucking better than that. Like, that, that was the, it kind of dawned on me <laughs> yeah, that yeah. a game that influential and we were lucky enough to see a World Cup final. There are some pretty good 102s on the list. A lot of the big names are there, but a couple that jumped out at me. Lance Klusner's first ton against India in his fourth test off 100 balls. Nice. Absolutely flayed them. Uh, that was after he took the eight for nothing, mm. wasn't it? Mm. In in that first series of his. Uh, it's the second of David Warner's twin tons at Adelaide in 2014 in the Phil Hughes match. It's uh, Ian Healy at Old Trafford. Oh, yeah. 102. Yes, indeed. He's, that was his first <laughs> test honey in Healy. He was out there talking to Tim Payne last week, and I was crapping on about that. So, yeah, I remember that well. Staying, up, I remember my dad let me stay up and watch that. Healy, I think he made it just after lunch, and I stayed up through the lunch break. Healy was on about 96, I think, from memory at the, yeah, at the interval. There, there was a phase as an England fan where it just seemed that everyone who'd never made a test 100 made a test 100 <laughs> against England. <laughs> 
Um, well, it's a bit like the tail batting against New Zealand. Remember that phase where every like ten and eleven in the world made their first fifties against New Zealand for, <laughs> for five or six years, and McGrath and Gillespie were just in a glut of yeah. Harbour Singh made two hundreds against them. You know, suddenly it was if you're batting at eight down, queue up against the Kiwis. Um, Salim Malik got four scores of one hundred and two. Totally above board, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, I bet he did. (laughs) (laughs) It remains one of my two favourite banners from when we were growing up, Zoltz. You probably remember when... um when in Australia you'd have the Toyota signs on the on the banners, you'd see when yep. you know, oh, what a feeling, and all the rest of it. My two favourite ones were a Sally Malik reference with this a huge banner saying the checks in the mail, Salim, and then the Toyota logo. <laughs> very crude, very blunt. And my other favourite one is um, a picture of um, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but here we go, we've come this far. Um, a picture of, um, of of Darren Goff, shall we say, uh, filating Shane Warne, <laughs> saying, "Hey Goff, suck me off. <laughs> oh, what a feeling." <laughs> like, uh, Advance Australia Fair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, moving on. Okay, um, uh, Justin Langer made 102 here at the Oval when he had his yep. comeback test in 01 after he got dropped after the India yep. series when he was batting at three. Slater got left out. Langer came back the start of the Laden, uh, Laden and Hanger Laden and Hanger <laughs> <laughs> partnership Hayden and Langer Langer was knocked out and so all of the tropes were there he got hit in the head and concussed and had to retire hurt on 102 with blood streaming down his temple he started the romance with Hayden one of them made 100 in about their next 8 test matches batting together Steve Waugh's 100 with deep vein thrombosis batting in the skins Mark Waugh mm, um, I, would, I would say Mark Waugh's last great innings where he makes his 21st test 100 after bringing up 3 figures into what West End Actually, right now, the, what was the what was it called before it was the OCS stand? It was um, just the Vauxhall the, end. Just the Vauxhall yeah. end, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. War pops um, Phil Tufnell twice into the grandstand here and then unfortunately loses his middle stump to Darren That's, Goff. I remember He that. should have retired then because had he retired right then, right there, his batting average would have been in excess of 43. Wow. In the end, it finishes at 41.81. Does that wow. matter? It doesn't, but growing up as a kid, I was heavily invested yeah. in the Mark Wall story. Less so these days. I remember Never Viv Richards um, yeah. played his last test uh, at the Oval in ni- yep. 91, and he got out uh, cheaply in the first inning, I think stumped or caught behind off Tufnell by Alex Stewart, and he was he had he came in at eight. He'd been ill, and in the second innings, if he if he'd scored under fifty or something, he'd have had a test average below fifty. All oh, right, and that just seemed that just seemed wrong. Outrageous. And then he he made sixty odds, yeah. so he got his average just above. 50. We, we had something very similar happen last year, didn't we? When Cookie finished up here on the final day of his test career, essentially, he needed to go above 80 odd. I think it was about 80 to have an average guaranteed to stay above 45 for his test career. Andrew Sampson and I were ticking the runs off. <laughs> we really wanted that to happen. And mm. of course, it didn't. He went on to make a big hundred. But yeah. Graham Swan retired in the 13 yeah. 14 Ashes. I think if he'd conceded, it was something like seven more runs. Yeah. His average would have been 30. Yeah. So. 29.99 he finished. I was tracking Love that it. very closely because he went for 21 <laughs> off his last over. And- what a, what, and then he, then he said, no, thanks, Skip. I, I, think, I think I'm out. Me he, could, fucked. he couldn't yeah. feel his fingers at that point. Yeah, so yeah. I, 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 from having worked with him on team, I still get the feeling he's over-concerned over with statistics, but that, that hasn't. You still wouldn't want to be above 30. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be above 30. I, I remember Steve Waugh having the I can't get below 50 bit in South Africa in 03, I think it was, and he, it, he needed to get 47, um, and he got 47 exactly and was caught by Jacques Callis at slip and had an average of 50.00. Oh, right. at the end of that innings and then went up from there got back up from there well that was also part of that 100 he made at Sydney against England the, sort of I guess the yeah. 
famous 100 for a range of reasons. One is that he brought up 10,000 test runs. Um, two is that he equaled Bradman with uh, 29 test hundreds. 100 last ball of the day, Richard Dawson. We all know what happens there. But I reckon that had he been out for fewer than 50, I think his average would have dropped below 50 then as well. So, and you know. guess what he made in that innings? 101. 102. 102. There you go. So, so that, it's out first ball the next day. That's probably what Peter Langstaff's 102 is, I'm guessing, is the Steve Waugh 102. It could also be Gilchrist's 100 at Perth against England, which was off 57 balls. That was 102 as well. Lots of options. So, Good stuff. Thanks, you're Peter. You're saying it's not Peter Willey's highest test score. <laughs> it could be. I can't rule it <laughs> out. But, but um, you know, I'm going to, you know, because I've done all the heavy lifting there, I'm just going to give myself a point. <laughs> you guys are on three. We did pretty well there, to be fair, Zoltz and I. Anyway, push um, on. Here we go. Ashraf Ahmed. Thank you, Ashraf Ahmed. 145 is well, the That's number. Dean Jones at uh, Brisbane in 1990, and there is no doubt about it. Is it, is it though? It has to be. I mean, one of the most famous one day innings. It's got to be. Are there no other 145s? I'm sure there are, but you know, in terms of influencing my life, <laughs> Ashraf Ahmed would definitely be deeply invested in influencing the life of Adam Collins. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? If he's heard the podcast, he would have heard me talk about that before. They let him bowl the last over of the game, which was often the custom when Alan Border was captain of the one day team. He let the batsman and made a ton have a twist in the 50th really? over of the unsuccessful chase and fair to say that Dino oh, that's, that's bowled the nice last touch, over actually. of that game I'd like to see that brought, in fact I'd like to see that made compulsory yes in, uh, <laughs> in cricket who um, would it be for England Who's, oh, actually I know who it would be Joss Bowles Trash <laughs> Joss Bowles <laughs> Trash I watched him bowl on the Nets the other week in a, another podcast in a, in a thing we were doing yeah. well I've, I've got another suggestion which is um, one Brendan McCullum at Christchurch oh, 145 yeah. off that about one, four, 12 balls Yep. We were certainly there. 79 balls for his 145. Yep, the world record innings, that'd be a reasonable one. Who else you got there, Zoltz? De- Dennis Compton, 1948 at Old Trafford. I can't remember if that's a game he got hit on the head, which in, I mean, 1948 was emphatically pre-helmet. Yeah, yeah well, it's the, only, it's the yeah. only draw of that series, isn't it, 48? That Australia won all the test bar, bar Manchester. Viv Richards at Lords in 1980 was a 145. Yeah. Michael Vaughan's score... At the MCG. Great innings. Second um, innings. Great. Oh, resilient. Javed Mandad in Lahore against India in 89. That would have been a big 145. Oh, I've got a stat on Michael Vaughan from that series that yeah. I dug up for the Earn Believable podcast. Oh, yeah. Which you can hear on <laughs> ABC. Um, which was that uh, I looked at 20 players who've scored 600 plus runs in, the, in an Ashes series. Yep. And the amount by which their average is superior to their teammates' average and the average of everyone else in the series. And Steve Smith is scoring about 5.6 times more than all other batsmen combined in this Ashes. Because collectively they're averaging about 24, 25. Australians even lower. He's 5.8 times as much as the rest of the Australians in this series. Michael Vaughan is the only one of those 600-run players who's had who's averaged more than his teammates by such a significant Jesus. factor. Really? I guess that's the series where England lost the Ashes in 11 days. Yes. Or rather, Australia retained them in 11 days. So they were going pretty poorly to begin, and they bounced back at Sydney and kind of at Melbourne. So he had Triscothic go with him at Melbourne, didn't he? Yeah. Um, it could also, of course, be Saeed Anwar against Australia. They're at Royal Pindi in 98. Um, oh, I love a bit of Saeed Anwar. In the, in the first innings Wrist there. when He's come up before on their pledge Saeed Anwar. He has, so 194 mm. in, in one day cricket. But on, on the, he made a big 100 at the Oval in 96 against England, in which England mm. had worked, come to the conclusion that his cut shot, his notorious strength, was yeah. also his Achilles heel. <laughs> yeah. And so they bowled short outside his off stump and he flayed them for yeah. an entire day. Well, he would have been in the conversation for a, um, a, a Bannerman in that first innings because he made 145 out of 269 all out and he opened nice. 
Uh, he opened the batting and, and batted through until he was the ninth wicket to fall. So, you know, had it not been for Mushtaq Ahmed making 26 at the bottom of the order, he might have been in for a Bannerman shout. So I'm happy to go with Saad Anwar for the, the 145 today, given that we've had Dino before. Um, Matthew Johnson, 343. Uh, I know this one. Yep. 343 uh, is a direct transcript from a recent England selectors meeting in which they were voting on where Joe Root should bat. <laughs> and the three votes were Ed Smith, the head selector, James Taylor, his assistant, and Joe Root himself. Not in that order. Three, four, three. Root lost. He's batting three. That's Root Maths. <laughs> root Maths indeed. Uh, that's very good. I don't know how to really chump that. I might, have, I might go to my old faithful. And there's no been. There's been no test three forty three. Says the Jeff. I don't think. Um, no, there's no test three forty three. No, I reckon out. it's a cap number. It's out, it's in the cap number. It's in the area. cap number. Oh yeah, and it could be a cap number of someone that has a relationship with both this part of the world and home, London and Melbourne. Uh, Tony Dottomate. It uh, was the 343rd man to play Test cricket, the booing in 1987. You uh, had to look that up. Uh, yeah, of course I did. Is Matthew right. Johnson a big Dottermade fan? I don't know. Well, Dottermade, Dottermade's debut, of course. He made a, he took a five for a matter of 50 on boxing day, didn't he, on debut, and then um, and then came here. And what was he at the MCC? Was he the, 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 the chief executive of the MCC, something like that, for a couple of years? Essex's Percy Perrin scored 343 on in a losing cause. <laughs> Is that the highest score ever by... Someone on the losing side of a first class. I'm stealing this from ESPN Crick Info, so credit to them. Um, the highest score in a losing side in a test was Ponting's 242 at Adelaide against India, which I'm sure we remember well. But in county cricket, Essex's Percy Perrin, who later became a test selector, scored 343 not out against Derbyshire at Chesterfield in 1904 on the losing side. That sounds niche enough to be <laughs> something for us. Three forty-three for Matthew Johnson. Good enough. Right, let's Perfect. race race through a few because we've been we have been dawdling, and let's see if we can uh, get a few more people in the cart before we leave. Edward Farrah, one forty-one. Thank you, Edward. One forty-one. This one. This one. Total Test wickets taken by Hugh Trumbull. Oh. really? Yep. Well, Across that's a good one. Tony Gregg. But it's also uh, what was McIwaja made in Dubai last year. Oh, oh and also what Stephen Smith made at Brisbane uh, in what is probably. His equal best innings with Edge Baston and Kuna. Those three are always it's one of his around. lowest innings against England in the, the <laughs> last nine tests. One forty-one. Uh, thank you, Edward. It was I'm his g- longest hundred that one forty-one? I reckon. I'm yep. I'm tipping it's the Kawaja, given that it's been sent into our podcast. Um, yeah. and, and we did the broadcast. Yeah, I'm gonna, that's true. I'm going to say that Edward's going with Usman's uh, match-saving innings in Dubai. <laughs> Thanks, Edward. Simon Knowles. Grandfather of Beyonce Knowles, uh, Simon <laughs> Knowles, 307. Oh, that's an easy one. And relevant to something I was talking to Vish about before. So um, 307 is the number we always see, Jeff, when we're in uh, when we're in the bar at the MCC looking up and you've got the, <laughs> uh, the Maley 9 for 121, which, of course, is the best bowling figures by an Australian. Um, the Safraz 9 for 86, which is the, the, uh, the best figures taken by a non-Australian. Uh, the... Uh, 307 for Bob Cowper and the 244 for Alistair Cook. Which so used we, to be the 208 for Viv Richards. Oh, what a funny quirk is that Simon Knowles with his 307, thank you, has been followed by Dave Brown with 208. Oh, there you go. So which, bang, must, be, bang. which must be the, the Richards score. So Simon, meant to be. Simon and Dave have been working together. Thank you, That's Dave really... Brown. I mean, we didn't plan that. That's incredible. No, we were, no. uh, Vish That's and in I were, chronological order. We were having this conversation with him as I was walking to record this. Yep. So they must have got the together boards. and done their pledges at the same time. Beautiful. Thank you, Dave. Right. Um, 208, also Ian Botham's score at the Oval against India in 1982. Well, <laughs> His highest test score. Highest test score, Ian Botham. 
um, any other 208s. Maybe it's a wickets taken by someone as well. I feel like someone finished with 208. Maybe MG Hughes might have finished with 208. 208, I think. I reckon that if Mark Wall had 208 first-class wickets. Did he? Yes. Well, that's, that's pretty good. That's quite niche. How do you know that? Because uh, um, I was looking up something else about Mark Wall, <laughs> and that came up. I like how that's stuck in your head. You're looking up other things about Mark Wall, like I often do. And you, and you end up seeing, well, used to anyway, and you see that in terms of test wickets, no, 212 for Hughes. I reckon there is an Australian that just fell over and ended up with 208. Not Thompson, Thompson. Stuart McGill. Stuart McGill. SCG McGill. That's Stuart McGill and Sacklane Mustang. Oh, that's, oh Sacklane gets another mention. Stuart McGill into the... Yep. This is all working out beautifully. A, a double mention for Sacklane and Stuart McGill and Viv Richards, 208s abound. Um, thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Ganana Subramaniam has come through with 198. Oh, the pain. Oh, the close call. Oh, they missed out. 198. Who missed out? Who made, I know that Steve Smith made 199. He did at Jamaica. I was calling it and I stitched him up on the DRS. I'm going, oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. It was out. Uh, 198. There have been um, two 198s in test batting history. Right. Lindsay Hassett. Against India, Adelaide, mm-hmm. January 1948. Yeah. And Garfield Sobers also against India in 1958. Well, there's a nice Adelaide link there, isn't there? If he made the, uh, the 198 Adelaide, Les Favel, uh, his test cap was 198. And of course, he, he, it's, it's, uh, Ian Chappell's constitutionally obliged to talk about Les Favel every time that he talks about his playing career. Mm-hmm. He indeed talked to us about Les in great depth on our interview with him. When was that, Jeff? January. So if you want to hear more about Les, uh, jump on uh, the archives before the World Cup and there was a gazillion episodes in your feed and, and you can find it there. Thank you, Kanana Supermanium for 198. Jono Child has come through with 751. S- strikes me as a bowling. 751. Has to be a bowler who's gone nutso. 751. 751. Winston Davis of the West Indies took 7 yep. for 51 in a World Cup match in 1983, which yep. at the time I think was the best figure, certainly in World Cup cricket. Is that and possibly true? in one-day international Until cricket. Glenn McGrath took on Namibia in 2003. And Andy Bickle took on England. <laughs> uh, but McGrath tipped him. It was 7 for 15, <laughs> wasn't it? Two was references. Two. <laughs> I, th- I think, yeah, Bickle was 7 for 22 or seven something. 7 for 20. Yeah. And then, and then oh. McGrath was 7 for 15. Just to just to say sorry, Andy. Sorry, champion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just quickly putting punching into my. You know who also took seven. Bruce Reed, another Ashes Test oh, match though. at the MCG in yep. 1990, uh, when he looks like he was going to go on and be fit for a long period of time and take hundreds he and hundreds and hundreds of Test wickets and yeah. didn't quite happen. But he's, he always has those two Test matches two True. years in a row at the MCG against England and India. It's also Dale Steyn uh, against India at Nagpur and Meninder Singh against Sri Lanka at Nagpur. A big ground for 7 for 51s, Nagpur. <laughs> they say that over there in the this city of oranges. And Tony Locke, when he finally picked up some wickets, got more than one for against New Zealand, 7 for 51. Thank two you. mentions for Tony Locke. <laughs> Not so much for Tony Lockett. No. Uh, that was John O'Child. Thanks, John O. Thanks, John O. Uh, Eric Parnas, 226. 226. Flintoff's test wickets, and I think Harmison as well. Oh, really? that's so good. That is they've so good. They've got the same... They've ended up on the same so. number. That's beautiful. Well, there's also another England link. Uh, KP made a test 226, didn't he? He did, against West Indies. And Jonathan Trott against Bangladesh. Oh, Perhaps that's a massive England most, number. The most forgettable test double hundred of them all. Yeah. A massive <laughs> England number. And is there a Bradman 226 as well, Jeff? I think Probably. There's always a Bradman 226. Um Against South Africa, maybe, the 226 yeah. that he made. So uh, I, re- I like the England connection better. So there's a KP, mm-hmm. Harmison, Flintoff. And Jonathan Trott, four 
greats of England cricket have all got a two two six. Well, actually, if you look at the list, there's a great list. So it's Bradman, Sobers, Greenwich, Lara, and Peterson all made two twenty sixes. All right, where's the Lara one? It is uh, Adelaide 05 against Australia. Ah, uh, yes, that's a great innings. That was his like last great innings against Australia. Mm. Um, Greenwich against Australia in Bridgetown and Sobers against England in Bridgetown. So a lot of options there, Eric. But we're we're going to go with the England uh, everything. Elisa Daly. Hello, Elisa. Hi, we, Elisa. Uh, we ran into Elisa in Manchester. Did you actually meet her Trafford. in the end? I did. I meant to meet her and it never happened. I'm so sorry, Elisa. That's my bad. I, um, we, we crossed paths in a bar called Crazy Pedro's. Oh, I was at Crazy Pedro's. You were there and you left. <laughs> oh. And you, you missed your chance. To, uh, but, but she's been a big supporter of the show and very appreciative of that. 7.56 is the Elisa Daly pledge. She originally had 7.27, didn't she? Yeah, but this she was the Frank Tyson one. She typoed it. Um, so and she and Travel played in, played in that test, but was one of the three Australians not dismissed by Frank Tyson <laughs> <laughs> in that innings. Ah, oh, the amount of callbacks today. Mike, Mike Whitney's best test figure, 7 for 27. Okay. Where did Mike Whitney take 7 for 27? He was, uh, he was on the set of Neighbours, I think, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a Who Dares Wins stunt. <laughs> End of season yeah. finale. Who took a 7 for 56? Uh, Mitchell Johnson against um, South Africa at uh, Thingamabobby, Perth. That's no, 8 for 6. Eight no, for that was 8 for. It's 8 for. He got 7 for at Adelaide, but that's um, 7 for 40. He did. He did. 7 for 56 test figures. Shane Warne might have at the MCG. That was 7 for 42, wasn't it? Not at the MCG. Oh, there's another Warne 7 for. That's very unlike me not to immediately know that. Well, obviously, it's James Langridge's best test bowling figures. <laughs> 1930s England player. A worn seven fur. Yep. That wasn't the one that he took against the West Indies. Yep. Early on. Early on. He didn't finish with seven against England in 94 no, 95 because no. Fleming took too many at the start. Early on. Against, uh, uh, against a team making their first oh, appearance South Africa. in a long time. Yes. In uh, 93. 93-94. Yep. Yeah, so that would have been at Sydney before they got bowled out for 105 in the last That's innings. right. And that was there the first test match that Elisa went to as a kid. Oh, was it? And watched Warney take seven for Oh, that's great. Well, Elisa, also a rabbit Hawthorne supporter, so... There we go. Um, uh, more power to you. What, Thank what do you, you. think? Do you, do you reckon that's, uh, that's probably enough for today? I, I reckon we've held Andy enough. Or, or in saying that, um, why don't we do one more? Give Andy one more opportunity. Yeah. One more time to play shots. I, I think he'll get this one straight away from Pat McKeon. Hello, Pat. Thank you. 294, Andy. Well, that's Alistair Cook's highest test score. I knew you would know that yes. <laughs> off the top of your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, partly the, uh, th- he had a benefit uh, a couple of, well, three or four years ago now. Yep. And I think there was, I got, went to a, a dinner and, and got a free tie with 294 at night mm. or something. So, okay. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, his, his largest innings. By no means his most interesting innings, <laughs> uh, or his most important innings, but it was his biggest. This has been Nerd Pledge. Thank you for listening along. If you want to get involved, you can go to the Patreon page. You can find that on our website, finalwordcricket.com, or you can go straight to patreon.com slash thefinalword. I know it gets confusing. And you can sign up and you can send an amount, and then we will try to guess what your number is on subsequent shows. We've got a bit of a backlog to work through still, but we are going very well. Thanks so much to everyone who pledged today. Yeah, I was just going to add that one point. I'll reinforce that. If you have pledged, uh, we're going to get through to it sooner rather than yeah. later. After the 
Ashes series is concluded. We're going to keep going with the podcast on a weekly basis. I might take one week off when I'm overseas, but apart from that, we'll push on through and we'll have a chance to... to, to yeah, it's, a, it's a great problem to have that we have a lot of people that we're yet to read the pledge out for. So Matt Clemo, who was on Twitter this week, our dear friend, saying, where am I? Trust me, you're coming up soon. Yeah, yeah. It's not, we're not selecting the ones that we like most. No, we're, going we're definitely not. Them. We're going through them chronologically out of respect for the process of time because we do <laughs> respect time. But yeah, jump on. As we learned on last week's show. Jump on the Patreon. We're about to hit uh, 281, which is our next target to, to match the great VVS Laxman, at which point we'll, um, we're going to put out some more of the video stuff that we've been filming throughout this tour on the Patreon page. There are a few little patron-only goodies and stuff like that that you can get access to if you sign up with whatever amount for whatever period of time you want. Um, thank you so much to Andy Zoltzman. Thanks. Well, we- I mean, you've asked me to come and nerd out about cricket stats. You don't need to, th- you don't need to thank me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have just been great. doing it at home on my own otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> this has provided the context. It's provided a game. I forgot to keep score from three all, so let's say it was six all. You're both <laughs> great. Tiebreaker. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I love all of your input. Um, oh, we, could, we could do a tiebreaker if you want. What's, um, what's Marco Sullivan's 6-7-0? Was it England's 67 all out and the number of people who at that point thought they were going to win that test. <laughs> uh, it's very good. It's very good. I know it's some bowling figures because I know that I saw it on television last week. Craig McDermott took six for 70 at Lords yeah, in 1985. Six for 70. Um, any any advances niche, on that? Though, 670 in a test inning, 670 in England cap. There'll be someone who... 670 That's quite recent, was there yeah, I, I don't have it in front oh, of me. Oh, it's just 693, I think, isn't it? Yeah, it's, quite it's a reason. probably someone from last year. Yeah. <laughs> from the island, as much. Richie Benno at Old Trafford in oh, 1961 six took 670. Six yeah, we were talking about it last week as well. There we go. Bowling out England with what? Was it 20 minutes to spare on the final afternoon, Andy? I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Still, still hurts, even if it was 13 years before I was Bob born. Simpson at Slip <laughs> taking all the catches. Uh, um, Benno going around the wicket into the rough. Which was yeah. revolutionary at the time. Well, the tiebreaker doesn't work because I scored the point. So you're still six all <laughs> and will remain that way forever in my heart. Uh, thanks for playing Nerd Pledge, Adam Collins and Andy Zaltzman. Thanks to everyone for listening to Nerd Pledge. We'll be back with more of it at some point, whether it be the Nerd Pledge quiz or the regular kind of one that we do. And for anyone who's listening to the podcast for the first time, we always put a shout out for iTunes. If you can review or rate the podcast, that makes a massive difference. We've, I, I noticed now that they're, they're in our official cricket podcast charts, which we've been topping in a whole bunch of countries, including Australia, from time to time. So thanks and for... And Sweden. And Sweden. Top of the pops in Sweden. <laughs> and we'll be back with the Ashes Daily once the test match starts. The uh, t-shirt giveaway competition will be continuing through the Ashes Daily, so tune in to the short bite-sized morning pods, which won't be a long as this one no it's been long but it's been fun it's been worth it that's all we can ask for like walking from italy to scotland it's been long (laughs) but it's been rewarding thanks for being with the final word bye